This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome to Taking the Higher Road, a driver reach and freight waves production. I'm Leah Shaver, president and CEO of the National Transportation Institute. I'm excited to be back with you to host another recruiting leader on the podcast today. On this show, we interview industry experts and thought leaders who bring their insight to the driver life cycle as we discuss the industry's greatest challenges, driver recruiting and retention. Your feedback is very important to us and your kind reviews keep us on the hunt for more great talent put in front of you. Please remember to rate and review Taking the Higher Road on whatever platform you are using to listen. Today, I am so happy to be talking with a longtime friend and colleague, Beth Potras, the founder and CEO of Drive My Way. Beth, it's always great to see you, and I am very excited to dive into our very personal discussion today. Super excited to be here. Thanks for having me. My plan is for us to talk about your company's recent driver happiness survey, to talk about your work and the power of mentorship programs in the industry, the little details that fleets can look at to make their jobs more attractive to drivers, and your thoughts on how to make it through this very tough cycle. So let's get this party started. Beth, this is not the first time you've been on the show, and we know about your resume, but let's do a quick refresher about you and your company. You're a longtime human resources executive, and you founded Drive My Way in 2016. The name of the com company kind of hints at why you started it, but tell us what your goals and mission are. And I particularly like one of your many taglines that you always say, uh, run one of them by us again. Okay, so I really founded Drive My Way. The heart of it all is that our mission is to empower drivers to live the life they want doing a job they love. And we're doing that's that. That's it. That's it. That's all. That's what we're all about. Everything we do surrounds that particular thought. Well, that's a great segue into my next question. Um, the foundation of Drive My Way is obviously rooted in your many years as an HR leader focused on finding the right person for the right role with a long-term mindset. Having been in trucking for nearly 25 years myself and many of those as a recruiting and HR leader at a large motor carrier, what we all want is to recruit a driver and hope it's their forever job. I refer to this as being sticky. But frankly, we often end up just taking a stab at the job and being sticky just right now. Drive My Way's mission doesn't really align with right now. You're trying to find the right job for drivers for the long haul. Pardon my pun. So in that way, I see you as being a maverick in the driver recruiting space. I've said for some time that there's a calcified culture in our industry built on the idea of fluidity. Fleets in many ways have grown accustomed to building their operations and recruiting around that culture of fluidity and short-term hiring. It's a long way to ask a very simple question. What's it like to show up to work every day with the goal of chipping away at that culture and trying to change it? It is definitely 
a, a, a long haul play, pardon the pun, uh, because, you know, it's deeply rooted. The spirit of recruiting hasn't changed, but we, we've become deeply rooted in having so much work and trying to tackle that work that we get into this cycle of administration and it's turned, unfortunately, over time into a very transactional process. And it, we've somehow taken the human part out of the process, the personalization. Um, and it's it's very ironic because I talk to a lot of recruiting professionals and it's easy to slip into the mode, right? It's your job, you're working your recs, you know, you're making your calls, you're managing your candidate flow. But to when you step back and think for just a moment that you're literally making a difference in people's lives, you're touching people's lives each and every day in everything that you do, um, it's going to make a difference one way or the other. Um, it really changes your perspective um, and gets you kind of up out of that transactional sort of short order cook, go for the volume, you know, get on the wheel type of a mode. Well, speaking of that that wheel, um, your company just completed its driver happiness survey, and it's now nearly ready for the masses, right? So, right. where can people find the results of this survey? I'm I'm going to just take a stab that there are many uh, pieces of good con quality content about to come our way. Absolutely, um, we're getting ready to launch uh, the driver happiness survey. Will appear in print in the Women in Trucking's Redefining the Road magazine um, that's going to be published on October 30th. Okay. Uh, so excited about that. We're excited about the following week being at the Women in Trucking conference and being able to have some really meaningful conversations around the survey and kind of what's getting people excited about it and what are some of the things that people were surprised about and not so surprised about. What are so? What are some of those key takeaways? Maybe some of those surprises, if you want to hint at them. Um, AKA, what are the the attributes that equate to driver happiness? Or on the flip side, maybe tell us the answers to all driver dissatisfaction. Who's the happiest driver? Who's the least happy driver? Well, what I will say is that um, there's a couple really interesting tidbits in the survey results. Um, they generally have to do with differences in the age gap on where a driver sits in terms of uh, what generation they come from and kind of a different set of expectations that we're now seeing are starting to evolve from the millennials, um, which is kind of interesting. Um, I also would say that, you know, happy drivers, um, and they are out there are really three times, uh, uh, more likely to recommend their fleet, um, to, to folks than unhappy drivers are, which is probably a good thing. Uh, cause if they're not happy and they're recommending that people come and other people can join them to be unhappy, that is not a good thing. Um, but we're also seeing a pretty strong correlation in some of the data between men and women. Um, and women in particular, um, you know, not being happy in their role, but when it comes to a certain point in their career, kind of becoming happier. 
So um, we're seeing a lot of kind of trends from our first survey into this next survey. Um, And, you know, we're looking forward to having some really great conversations with folks uh, as we unveil the data, um, look at um, some of the changing things that people are wanting or really desiring that will make them happier. I think the one that really stood out for me the most out of anything, which I was so pleased to hear, and fleets better um, pay attention and be prepared to respond is that three out of five drivers um, who most desired better communication and listening from management have been in their careers for less than two years. So these this upcoming group uh, that's deciding to make driving a career um, have some very, I wouldn't say completely different expectations. I think others before them would expect great communication from their leaders as well, but um, it's it's more and more of a priority for them which means we better get our stuff together and yeah. start going back to some of the old school basic things, which is, you know, people are people, not leads. We have to communicate with people, have genuine conversations, recognize that what we're doing is impacting folks' lives. So that's real leadership. And and it's it starts with even being willing to ask the question. But if you're willing to ask the question, you need to be prepared and willing to take action. So I think that's going to be the telling piece of it all. And and I would I would say that it's probably not a surprise that folks have high expectations for strong communication because all of us are walking around. I don't know if this is on the camera there, you know, with our phones at all times. And of course, our drivers are not driving with their phones in their hands. But you get my my drift, right? Uh, you know, generally speaking, uh, we have these magic tools that allow us instant communication, even if it's in short bits and and folks really have become to rely on that. I would also just venture to, to guess that when you reference, uh, you know, a bit about the stage of career that someone might have more satisfaction, I would I would just venture to guess it's not in year one. Actually, believe it or not, the highest is in between you know, sort of zero in the first year, because, right, you join, you're excited, you know, you're still kind of getting getting used to the organization and the culture. And then um, it, it sort of drops pretty drastically. But then as you get up past that sort of sixth year, that eighth, past that eighth year, um, you it really skyrockets back up again. So, you know, that kind of speaks to, you know, sort of the initial, maybe potentially attention paid to the new people joining an organization and the kind of interactions that are created during that period. And then sort of the lull that happens at some point. Um, But even though you held up your phone and we have all access to all these devices, isn't it odd that the millennials are saying that they need more communication, better communication from the organization and leaders. I mean, there's certainly lots of tools and I, I think there's probably a lot of communications happening, um, but they want the listening piece, the two-way piece. They don't want just messages coming at them. They sure. want conversation. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, 
to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Um, I, I actually don't think it's odd, but I think uh, we would re- be remiss, as you said, to not take action on this important piece of feedback. Um, well, my company, NTI, is the industry authority and leader on compensation benchmarking for drivers and technicians. But we also actively study other issues from a driver's perspective, because if something is important to the driver, it should be highly important to companies that employ those drivers. So we found it interesting in your survey that pay questions garnered the highest participation. And secondly, this is what I wanted to get your thoughts on. Our data at NTI has shown that driver pay has climbed dramatically since 2019. But comparing driver satisfaction with their pay in your company survey, drivers were less satisfied with their pay today than they were in 2019, despite those big gains. What are your thoughts on those findings and and why that might be? You know, I I really I was surprised about that, too, to be honest with you, because, you know, we're excited that, you know, pay was finally being raised and um, being put on the top of the agenda. But, you know, I thought about over the last couple of the years, as pay was rising, we also need to look at what other things were changing in terms of expectations of the drivers and some of the circumstances that they were being asked to work within. So if you think about, you know, COVID, the pre and post COVID and some of the nature of how the jobs have changed and, you know, what they're being asked to do. Um, and, and some of those things actually, frankly, do impact their ability to make money. Um, you know, uh, long wait times, et cetera. Um, I think that that caused the dissatisfaction to come into play. I think it's the relationship between what they're being paid for and, um, you know, what what the added expectations are that come with that, whether they're spoken or unspoken, right? You know, drivers want to know, um, what am I going to, not only what am I going to make, but what do I have to do to get that? You know, because they, they're quick to figure out that um, people are anxious to post how much you could possibly make but nobody talks about all the variables that could impact you not making that. All of our drivers make up to $85,000. You are very detail-oriented. This is one of the many things that I love about you. I will get back to that in just a second. It is going somewhere. At NCI, we work with all types of companies, all types of jobs, all types of performance results within their recruiting and retention programs. Whether we're working with motor carriers or private fleets, we see some companies who take the deepest dives into how their pay and policies compare, not just across the board, but at the market level, the job level, very granular examination of how and where they can improve from the smallest attributes to the biggest picture. As your company, Drive My Way, works with drivers and hiring companies, you get a front row view of the reasons that drivers turn down jobs and with companies who evaluate how and where they can make adjustments to have better success in attracting the drivers on your platform. So tying that in with your detail-oriented approach, I told you we'd come back to that, what are your insights at a granular level of the ways companies can improve their jobs and make them more attractive to drivers? And how do you feel that your platform stands out in helping them accomplish that? Yeah, I appreciate the question because it's something I'm really passionate about because you don't always, you know, if somebody's even semi-considering making a move, you don't always get to 
to be there in person to put that best foot forward, right? To talk about what your offering is, why they should consider you, why drivers um, choose to work for you and stay working with you. So you have to think of every possible way to get that story out there in a way that it's going to land with people. Um, The best way, of course, is to have your current drivers that are working with you tell that story. Um, But how it resonates with um, not just the words that you're using, you know, every driver is family, you're not a number, you're a name, all these things. How does it translate into the day to day? So giving the examples, we get into very, very specific detail about each job. Again, not just the pay what is the pay? How is the pay calculated? You know, what is driving the pay? Um, whether or not, you know, if it's CPM, if it's, um, if there's any guarantee portion of the pay, what is it? Um, what do you have to do to be eligible for that? Um, whether or not overtime is included, if it's uh, a pay hourly job, if it's pay by the load, you know, how does it all break down? If you're an owner operator, what do the settlements look like? So the drivers want to know, the full total comp package, the pay, the benefits. And a lot of times carriers fail to really illustrate the total value of all of that. Because sometimes it's not, and it's just not the extra part of how much I might make on the comp side. There might be even an equal value or a higher value to the benefit that's offered. Or, you know, two jobs that are equal and look in almost every sense, but one requires a longer commute. Now I'm you know, more time away from family and friends, you know, more gas to get there and back. All of those things have to add up. Um, And plus there's the other intrinsic things of, um, you know, how do you relate with the leadership team, with the folks you interact with, your dispatcher, your driver manager, your coworkers, um, even the shippers, you know, for that matter. Um, so drivers want to understand what the experience is going to be. And one of the main things that we see more and more questions asked, because they know to ask the traditional ones, but they genuinely are interested in the company's equipment. Um, you know, if you think about it, that's their office, right? So they want to know a little bit more about the equipment, the company's commitment to safety, commitment to the type of equipment, um, what kind of flexibility they offer when it comes to time off. They want to know if there are inward and outward facing cameras. They want to know if their speed's going to be governed. So a lot of questions um, that are surrounding autonomy um, and and expectations on how much control am I going to have or not have? And you know what are you going to require me to do? Because they're going to be thinking through all the different people that they'll have to interact with and how much control ultimately they're going to have on being able to make their shipments on time and they're going to be able to make the money that they're seeking to make. Well, you you hinted at this earlier, but I asked this question to every guest I have on the show, and it's a topic I bring up so often in conversations within the industry, because frankly, we need to find answers and it's something we should all be actively talking about. And that is, how do we attract more millennials and Gen Zers into trucking jobs? Because they're dramatically underrepresented when you compare to the broader workforce. You had a few sections in the driver happiness survey about job satisfaction and happiness across the age groups. A few notes that we had were uh, drivers between 34, 35, excuse me, to 44 were the happiest, both now and compared to the survey four years ago. Drivers between 18 and 34 saw their happiness dip a little bit during those four years. And meanwhile, 
older drivers, those 55 and up, and yes, there's a considerable population, people, they saw their happiness increase since 2019, the only group to do so. So since one might say the older we get, typically the grumpier we are, shed some light for us on what your takeaways were from that section of the analysis. Yeah, I think the it, the the data definitely speaks to the real life examples that we hear. Which, you know, in the previous question you were asking, you know, what other kind of insights do we generate? It's not just in describing the job, but we have this other facet where we're able to touch the drivers in a very unique way, which is through our matchmakers. So the reason that that didn't jump out really as a complete surprise to me was because our matchmakers are constantly communicating with the drivers that are a part of our community and describing the offerings that a carriers have in their various job postings to pretty extreme detail. So we're getting the live reaction of people as they're interacting with the matchmakers. So we're seeing firsthand in those interactions um, how people are receiving certain aspects of the employment value proposition and the different ways the different various groups look at those things. So when you look at somebody who is is earlier in their career, right, and and potentially doesn't have to be early in your career, meaning you're young, um, but the, the younger they are, they're looking for um, a whole, you know, they, they, they care about pay, don't get me wrong, but they're looking for a whole other different type of an experience. They're joining something um, you know, so, but they're also kind of starting at the bottom and having to work their way up, if you will, put in their time. It's still a little bit of that type of a, of a job. So, um, it, it, you would think that the older generation would be grumpier, but I, I tend to think that that's the point in your career where you're, you have been through a lot. Your needs have changed over time. And you have come to appreciate some of the things that your employer does for you or that your job allows you to do, you know, living that life that you want. If you're properly situated with the right carrier in the right position that meets your needs, it's going to drive increased happiness. So I I could see where it might dip a bit in that four-year mark. Um, that I can't completely explain, um, overall. Um, but I'm not surprised on sort of the front end and the back end piece. The dip though, um, I, I understand has taken in terms of the timing is most prevalent with women. So I wonder if there's some correlation between childbearing years and just sort of a, you know, traditional trajectory on, um, you know, establishment of family, et cetera, um, and changes, maybe demands, uh, changes that they need to um, be able to do everything that they want uh, during that period of time in their lives and in their career, which is why, you know, you really need to look at employees as consumers in that relationship because their needs are going to change over time. I mean, nobody's needs stay stagnant. Yes, though though your aim is, of course, to have a long-term um, employment relationship, mine too, by the way, um, you know, for any candidate, uh, one of the things I remind folks often is that, 
you know, the job today may not meet your needs forever. Not every role that we have uh, meets the needs, but that's where the value of having lots of options within an organization or fluidity in the business relationships with customers to be able to modify jobs to accommodate your people. Um, all of these things are so important as we continue to evolve the industry. Well, and I w- for what I would tell the driver in that scenario is, and I think they're shocked, is you need to take control of your career. And you're the only one that knows what you need. And if you're not willing to step up and have that conversation, and at least with your current carrier, explore if there's any flexibility or any other options, then the only one who loses in that scenario is you. Because I'm seeing, if willing, to have the conversation. And and hopefully, whoever you're working with, your driver, manager, dispatcher, somebody would recognize, hey, gosh, it seems like this is an issue for you. And how can we maybe work something out? If you're not willing to have that conversation, you're not going to end up with discovering what other possible solutions there might be. We're starting to see um, some carriers who do do have lots of different options, um, folks being moved uh, to other routes and schedules, um, even into office or some other driver relations types of rules that would lend themselves to be able to have a more predictable schedule, whatever it might be. So you have to be willing to take control over what you need to be able to first identify it and articulate it and be willing to have that conversation. Because I think you'd be surprised. More and more, I think, Folks want to retain people. And if they can, you know, if it's within, like, obviously, if it's only an OTR company and you now have a local need, you know, which happens, something may change in your health or something else, you know, they may not be able to accommodate that, but they might have some other role in the office where they could. Um, But not everything's for everybody all the time. Situational. I was going to ask you your thoughts on how the industry can change to better attract younger generations, but I feel like you've just identified several. Uh, fluidity in, in accommodating our people, um, deciding that we are going to be able to uh, accommodate the unique needs of women that are, are younger um, on the job. If, if, for example, you know, family or, or, um, significantly child rearing is is really important to them. But is there anything else that you didn't get to cover related to that? Well, I just think that it's more of a um, front and center um, presence that you need to take with management, having open and honest conversations all the time, more information, more two-way communication, not just, you know, telling, you know, communicating to people. I think the more people feel a part of the organization, feel like they do have a relationship of sorts, you know, with their leadership uh, where they can feel comfortable to bring up a change that they might have where they may need some accommodating. They're going to be more likely to do that um, when that hasn't been something traditionally drivers would do. Typically, they'll have an issue come up, a needle change, they'll get upset and they're out of there. They're on to the next one. And they we may not even have the communication at all with the company that they're leaving. Sure. Well, let's switch gears just a minute and talk about running a business in today's economy and today's freight market specifically. Uh, Our deeper dive question today was submitted by an industry vendor and entrepreneur, much like yourself. 
Demand is down. We know that freight volumes have tumbled and the outlook for recovery is not great in the near term. It's just a weird, frustrating, tough time in trucking. And this period follows three years of a whole basket of other weird, trying, confusing times. The pandemic, inflation, economic yo-yo, labor market challenges, war, political strife. Pick your flavor of cloudy times. You and I are both business owners. We employ people, imp people important to us. We work with business leaders every day who are also working on talent acquisition. What can you say about running a business in today's world and in this current market? Give us some tips on how to survive and thrive. And I will say, I think that this question applies even to leaders working in the industry, also employing folks, you know, with business challenge. Absolutely. It it, there is no more difficult thing to do than to be the person, you know, leading an organization through this type of change where there's so many unknowns. You know, you make your predictions, your forecasts, they're based on history and, and information that you think, you know, is a pretty sure bet, you know, and then things happen. I mean, nobody could have ever predicted COVID. But the one thing that we all have control over is how we are able to deal with these kinds of unanticipated changes. And what's most important in times like these is heightened visibility, communication, ongoing, genuine, meaningful conversations, because you you need to be sort of open and honest. It's everybody can see it. It's happening to all of us. We're going through it together. So having conversations on how we're going to combat that, asking people from their perspective and where they sit, what are they seeing? What are they experiencing? What are some ideas that they have on how we can make it through this together? It, it you know, really goes a long way. And, you know, I think people recognize that it's not just happening here, it's happening everywhere. So no matter where they go, we're all going to be faced with the same challenges. Um, so it's what really differentiates uh, one leader from another is your ability to, to step up and, and have those conversations with your team and be honest and, um, you know, talk about what everybody is feeling and experiencing from all their different viewpoints and all the different roles that they have um, and how we're going to navigate it together. Um, because I think there's some sense of, uh, um, you know, support and um, you know, you're not kind of out on an island when you know that you're you're with others and they're having some same shared experiences. I was explaining to my team just the other day, I just spoke at a conference and I was gone. So I missed our morning huddle. We have a morning huddle every morning, 15 minutes around the room. Here's what I have going on today. And it's places where we can identify how we can help each other. Or if we're figuring out, we're moving so fast that we're both working on the same thing and didn't realize it. And it's it, it much liken it to like a football huddle where everybody on the team plays a very different role. But at the end, you're all running a same, similar plays to get to the same end result. Um, so you tend to see what the field or view everything from your role or your perspective. But in our morning huddle, that's where we're getting together and we're coming together as a team, as individuals with expertise, but, you know, that we're all on the same team and we're all running similar plays and kind of getting each other's viewpoints. And I genuinely missed 
I mean, I physically missed the morning huddle for a couple of days, but I genuinely missed the morning huddle and went on a customer visit and really felt like my team was with me in spirit, but they weren't there. And I really wished everybody had been there to be able to go through that same experience. I felt it was important to try to bring it back to the group um, and try to articulate what I felt and what it was like to go through kind of an amazing customer visit with some feedback that we got and you know, just really missing my team having the opportunity to experience that for themselves. But then I realized every day, everybody has unique experiences and we share them on the huddle and that's what brings us together. I was just going to say the next day you had two-way conversation and shared the the results and the great feedback. So no worries there. Um, it sounds like they get very rapid response from you. Uh, Beth, you and I met five years ago at the Women in Trucking Accelerate Conference. So happy friendversary to you. Should we celebrate in Florida? <laughs> uh, the year the year after we met, you started a mentoring session at Accelerate, which has continued annually. You know that I am a huge advocate for mentorship networks in trucking, particularly for women. And I've also dedicated time and resources to pairing up mentors and mentees and mentoring many others myself. You and I foster an environment at our companies that provide mentorship and secure careers for many women. So let's talk about it. What's the importance of mentorship programs, both at the company and industry level? And then that next step, if a company wants to launch a mentoring program, how do they get one started? So typically when folks join the pre-conference workshop at, at Women in Trucking for the speed mentoring, they're generally coming in with some sort of an idea on an area that they're struggling with or looking for some more help on or hoping to meet somebody who's in that career maybe that they're trying to get into. Um, so we see everybody at all different levels um, or stages in their career, if you will, um, men and women um, in all different types of professions. So um, it's a really robust session that gets at some meaningful conversations pretty quickly uh, so people are able to start forging some relationships. And just about every single session we've ever had results in multiple mentoring connections that were made. I know you, Leo, were one of the one of those that met, left with many mentees. Um, so it's it's pretty exciting uh, opportunity. As far as companies that are uh, looking to um, guidance on how do they get started to create a mentoring program uh, internally, you know, I would say it always starts with what's the need? Is there a need? Um, and if your company already has affinity groups, um, you know, groups that get together that have like things in common, whether it's a young professional group, um, a, a female group, um, uh, a gr you know, a group based on national origin, whatever your affinity groups might be, you might start there in serving the affinity groups and within their networks on some of the top things that come to mind um, that people are interested in in help with or learning more about. Um, you could also host your own internal speed mentoring workshop uh, with your own professionals. Uh, you could look to your human resources department to help you um, figure out how to identify, maybe through your training and development program, some folks that would rise up and, and accept a mentoring type of a role. Uh, but you could host one of those internally on your own. If you need help, give me a call. I'm happy to help you figure out how to structure it. Um, but you can create that experience and start those conversations. And then from that, you know, it'll kind of evolve on its own. And, and you're introducing people to first, whether or not there's the need, uh, second, how to start having those conversations. And then third, 
you know, are there any things in common for how we could set something up ongoing to make this um, more a more of a program? Maybe we need a dedicated table to this concept at our speed mentoring session. Um, I, you know, that would be a, a fun discussion to be had if, uh, though I, I realize it's very specific and we generally are more general and have matching services after the conference. Maybe we've just come up with a great idea. Um, so if, if folks are attending the Women in Trucking Accelerate Conference, it's a few weeks away in Dallas. And this is, as you said, a pre-conference mentorship session on Sunday. That was a lot of SHs in one sentence. And But if folks are registered, they will receive an invite to um, to, to join the session. And of course, we encourage the registrations and otherwise to reach out to either Women in Trucking or you about joining the session. Absolutely. And it's one of those sessions that if you want to participate as a mentee, just show up. Um, that's what usually yes, happens. We take, so, we take walk-ins. Oh, <laughs> we take walk-ins. Yeah, it makes it more a lot more fun. Well, lastly, sticking with the theme of women in trucking, we have a few other sessions that we're both working on. And one is the power of storytelling. And this one is your brainchild, I will say. Both your own personal story and that of your companies, depending on which role that you are in, in your career. So give us a preview of that session. Uh, what What is personal storytelling and branding and why is it such an important skill in today's trucking world? It, it is. It is the new recruiting. I mean, it, maybe it, some would argue it's always been, but it hasn't, I would say, never been done very well. Um, and, you know, people are referring now almost like the pendulum has gone the other way, that if you ask people what's the best way to get a job, people would say networking. You know, the old school networking, figure out who do you know, who do they know, how can you get it referred in? Um, because it truly is about making that connection, having those conversations. And, you know, in today's world, you have to have your own elevator speech. You know, what's your story? Uh, and how are you going to um, take that opportunity once you get it um, to tell it to whoever it is that you're trying to communicate with? So we're bringing together an amazing panel of companies, a real good combination of both or, uh, one dedicated fleet, large dedicated fleet, private uh, fleets, as well as some four hire carriers, um, each to tell their unique story with their organization and whether they're in the marketing function, which several of them are, uh, or in the recruiting function or some that, that span both, um, some deliberate tactical things that they've done over the past year or two to really change um, how they're telling their company's story and the focus on the brand and what does it mean and how are we articulating to people what that employment experience is like? How are we getting them insight onto the culture and what's important at the organization? How can people, how can we do it in a way that people could actually picture themselves there? Um, so it's really making the whole thing come alive. Um, and then they're also going to talk uh, from the candidate experience standpoint, really, um, you know, if we describe what it's like what, to work for our organization, how do we make sure that our candidate experience reflects that all the way through? And I would say that now that we find out from the survey that there's a big dip based on how long you're there, how do we make sure that we're going to extend that so that we know people remain happy and engaged all throughout the whole 
uh, employment time at the at the carrier. So we've got several folks coming, um, all females, all heading up, um, driver recruiting, um, technician recruiting, um, recruitment marketing at their organizations, and they're each going to be there to tell their story and offer some practical tips and advice and uh, takeaways for people um, and also get into the importance of a candidate, you know, you yourself being able to articulate your story um, and when it comes to gaining employment. I'm, I think I'm most excited about the fact that, um, you know, corporate storytelling delivered to the candidate is something that's newer in the industry. Um, and, and, and someone might be thinking, how is that possible when recruiting is a machine in the trucking industry? But um, this is, these are, are groundbreaking individuals that have taken the company brand and value and and going well beyond we treat you like family right these are folks that that just take it so personally and have come to work every day to deliver an outcome that not only shares the company's story but also the value that they're going to deliver to their um to their workers did you hear that pun again it's the day of puns um, but also, you know, in terms of their personal journey, as as you said, how to identify themselves or make themselves available for the role that they really wanted, and then, um, you know, creating a job that they love, much much in line with the theme of your company, I would I would argue. Um, so, in any event, I, I'm excited for the session. Uh, thank you for inviting me to um, to run the panel, and I I think that the greatest challenge will be. Um, having you behind the mic and not running the panel yourself. <laughs> exactly. I, you know, honestly, I, I participate with these folks as a partner um, and each has a very unique story. And I think that's what makes it special is, you know, like no one wants to hear from me. I mean, I can talk to it from a candidate experience perspective, but, and, you know, I've got my own challenges, my own company. You have to, you know, make your brand come alive to people. They don't even know who you are. But um, to hear from all of these folks, the journey they've been on from the different the the different titles or functional seats that they sit in and how they've worked together inside their own organization um, to really, truly lead in this space um, and start changing the paradigm on all the traditional things that marketing people would start to um, quantify as best practice, practice metrics um, and focus on the brand experiences is, is uh it's it'll be a packed full event, um, and no, I'm not gonna. I'm deliberately not running the panel. It's a, it, we'll see. You can keep, we'll see, folks. Uh, I'm smart. Beth. I want to thank you so much for sharing your time, all of your fantastic insights, raising the bar every day in uh, the driver recruiting experience. I will see you in just a few weeks in Dallas. I hope to see everybody in a few weeks in Dallas. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to. And thank you for joining me on another episode of Taking the Higher Road. Remember, you can submit questions or comments, including those that appear in an upcoming Deeper Dive segment at podcast at driverreach.com. Don't forget to rate and review Taking the Higher Road on whatever platform you listen or watch. Until next time, thank you for taking the higher road.